This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. I've entitled today's Bible study, Excellent Behavior. Behavior is a very important part of our lives. It is the most powerful testimony we give about what's happening to us spiritually is the way we behave in our day-to-day living. It is the thing where we are challenged the most, and it is the one thing that we will give an account for when we pass from this life to the next. In 1 Peter, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11, going all the way through chapter 4, verse 11, he deals with the area of conduct of believers. How are we supposed to behave in the various aspects of life that we face as believers? How are we as children of God to conduct ourselves in a way that blesses us as well as blesses other people who are touched by our lives? So let's begin with 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. We're going to look at those today. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, those two verses cover a really broad sweep of life. Your life not only here on earth, but your life as you begin your eternal life in the life to come. So packed into those two verses is an awful lot of very important information and encouragement. He starts off reminding us that our behavior is a very powerful part of our life witness. Whether we like it or not, we're here to bear witness to something. We are here to let the world know about the reality of God. And there's two basic ways that they get that information. Number one is to hear our testimony about how we believe and what we have experienced personally in our walk with the Lord. But secondly, and equally as important, is the way we behave How do we live at home? How do we live at work? How do we live out in the world in general? What is our behavior like? Because that also indicates how we truly come at life. Our behavior flows out of our belief system and is a very, very powerful testimony. There's an old statement that says, what you do screams so loud I cannot hear what you say. So if our words are not backed up by deeds, then we are really play-acting. We are really hypocrites. We are not really matching word to life, and it always backfires. It will never, ever work out the way we are trying to pretend that it should be. So let's look at what he has to say about how we who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, how we should conduct our lives. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The word soul is the word suke in Greek, and it's the same as the Hebrew word nephesh. 
It means, of course, the immaterial part of us, but it also is a word that is synonymous with our life itself. It just means my life force. There's a certain sense in which sentient mammals have soul in the sense that they have life. They have some kind of intellectual capacity. They have the ability to operate independently. They are sentient, independent creatures. They are governed by instinct and things that are sort of already hardwired into them that enable them to survive. They don't think exactly the way as we do. They don't have cognitive process. They don't have self-awareness, that sort of thing. And they don't have an eternal spirit. They are not going to have a life after this life, a life after death. And so in that sense, we have a kinship with all sentient beings, with birds and mammals and all of that sort of stuff. Suke, life. And these things that we're to abstain from literally destroy our life. They make our time here alive less than it should be. They destroy life itself. They are not good for us just in general. They don't make life better. Even though as we look at these, we're going to find out they're almost cottage industries in our culture. Well, what are these lusts of the flesh that wage war against our souls? What are they? Well, Paul spells them out in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And we read, here's what he has to say. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Now, the flesh is just the human nature that we have that we inherit from our parents, which they inherited from their parents, which are Adam and Eve. So it is a part of the fallen nature of man. It's negative. The negative thing is, is we're not to do these kinds of things. We're going to talk about where we get the power to not do them in just a minute. But let's just describe what they are. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality are the first three. These all have to do with sexual temptation, sexual sin, and sexual misbehavior. Then he launches into idolatry. Now, idolatry is taking anything and putting it first place in your life. We don't, in our culture, worship actual idols like the pagans did in the ancient world. But Paul tells us in his writings that greed, for example, is a form of idolatry. So idolatry and then sorcery, getting involved in the occult in order to gain some sort of spiritual knowledge. It's trafficking in basically things that that get us closer to the devil. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, and envying. These are all behavioral attitudes that are negative toward other people. And like I said, in the beginning moments of this Bible study. These are almost cottage industries in our country, and they are really part of the stock and trade, unfortunately, of many people that are involved in the political process. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. All of these play a role in our current political discourse. And as a legislator who is a believer then there is an opportunity for you in the way you treat those who are in disagreement with you that is a very powerful witness to them of the fact that you can disagree over ideas, but you're not rejecting them as a person made in the image of God. Then he talks about other things that will destroy our life. Drunkenness, 
carousing and things like these. So he said, you know, this isn't an exhaustive list. This can go on and on and on, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not indicative of the lifestyle of a person who is a true spiritual child of God. Then he gives us the antidote the Apostle Paul does in Galatians, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit that indwells us after we believe in Christ, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the positives should look like. And that all comes about when I trust Christ to live his life through me, when I ask for God to fill me with his Spirit, and that means Ask for God to control me by his spirit. And what we do then looks like the way God deals with us, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul goes on to remind us that against such things, there is no law. There's no law of man and there is no law of God that is violated by behaving that way. Therefore, that will enhance your life. And that which enhances your life enhances everything your life touches, your work, your family, and everything else. So that is the very powerful part of our witness. In verse 12, Peter goes on to speak to these people and he says, keep your behavior excellent. Those very qualities that I talked about, letting the spirit control your life. And out of that comes love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That kind of behavior. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, in the case of Peter, he's writing to Jewish believers who are living in what is now modern-day Turkey. They're living outside of the uh, Holy Land. They're living outside of the Judean country. They're living outside of Palestine. And so they, they have a position as sojourners and pilgrims. That, those words that are translated aliens and strangers are literally mean sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner is a person who's living in a given area as an alien with no political rights. A pilgrim is a person whose citizenship is elsewhere. These people's citizenship is in heaven, and they're living in a part of the world where by race and doubly by religion, they are somewhat different. They are a lot different from the culture around them. As a result, they will probably be treated negatively sometimes. And so he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And that's good advice for us. We also are citizens of heaven, so there's a sense in which we're aliens and sojourners spiritually in the world in which we live. So keep our behavior excellent so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's that all about? Well, what that means is this. From time to time, you may be accused of something, of an attitude or something, which is a pure fabrication. That's not true. You're being slandered. People are saying things about you. They are putting you down. They are accusing you of things. Today, I know know, people are, are... who differ sometimes on a policy matter are accused of being racist or something of that nature. Now, racism is a very serious charge, and it shouldn't be leveled flippantly about anything. And so it has made political discourse sometimes 
just as an example. Very, very difficult. And so when people say things about us that aren't true, they will, though, still be able to look at how we respond back and how our lives are lived. That life behavior, he is saying here, will have an influence on them. And some of them, because of the way we live our lives, will be curious enough to find out about why we live that way. What is the real reason why this kind of stuff comes out of your life rather than all those negative things that we listed previously? What's going on here? And the thing that's going on here, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit. The thing that's going on here is a new life that God has put inside of you through faith in Jesus Christ. That will result in those people coming to believe in God, those people coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ too as they observe your life, as they observe your good deeds. And when Jesus comes back, and by the way, he is coming back, there is a whale of a lot more to our life than just this little earthly stint that we're going to live. We're getting ready to live forever. Eternity is what's at stake here. When Jesus comes back, then these people will be able to stand before him and glorify him because they are now believers in him, because of the fact that your life and your words have borne a witness to them, and they too have embraced the eternal life, and they are born again believers. He calls this thing the day of visitation. They will glorify God in the day of visitation. Jesus is coming back. That's the visitation. You've got a visit in your future, a visit from God. Now, the second coming of Christ can come in one of two ways for a believer. Number one is what we call the rapture of the church. Or secondly, we experience an immediate transport into the presence of God if we are believers when we die. But Jesus, make no mistake about it, Jesus is going to come back and men everywhere will answer to him for their lives. And the key question that's going to be asked will be evident is, did they believe in him during this lifetime when they had an opportunity or not? Our job in the way we live and the way we speak and the way we walk and the way we work, the attitudes we manifest through our behavior, the reason why these are so critically important is because they are the backup to our words. They themselves are a very powerful witness. When people are honest, when people are kind, when people treat others humanely, when people deal in good faith, when people make it very clear that they are here to do good and not bad, when people's lifestyle is not self-destructive or destructive of others, when people are not enmeshed in addictions, when people are not thieves and liars, all of these things make life better for everybody around us. It improves our culture, and it doesn't cost a dime to do it, and it can't even be legislated. The best that law can do is to encourage it and then also to punish evildoers. Now, one of the attitudes that the law has taken in recent days is to take certain negative behaviors and just make them legal. That doesn't make them right. It just makes them legal. It doesn't make them less destructive. It just makes less of a job for law enforcement, but it crops up somewhere else in other problems that we have as a culture. 
So there's always a trade-off. The ultimate answer to all of the problems we face in our society are ultimately spiritual. They are moral and they are spiritual in nature. And the only people who have the message and have the tools to change lives morally and spiritually are those who know Jesus Christ. And so that's why this very long section that we'll be looking at, talking about behavior, is so critically important. Our walk has to match our talk. And when our walk and our talk are speaking of the glory of God because of positive things that are coming out of our lives, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those things are beautiful to observe. They also enhance and make worth living our own personal experience. The way I react to every positive and negative thing that touches my life is the key factor in whether or not it blesses me or not. I can take a negative and react to it correctly by trusting God with it and praising God in the midst of it and watch it turn around and become a positive. I can take a positive and take it for granted and say, well, it could have been better or something of that nature, and I can turn it into a negative. No, the key to abundant living is inside your mind and inside your heart. We hold the key personally, each of us, to whether or not our life is a blessing or whether or not our life is a problem. So let me encourage you to trust God to enable you to have excellent behavior. It is a really good thing. May God richly bless you.